a mighty angel and a little scroll. So look with me, first of all, verses 1 through 4. Now let's stop. Let's remind ourselves where we're at. We've uh, seen the loosening of the seven seals. The seventh seal produced seven trumpets. We've seen six of the trumpets sounded. We've just seen the sixth trumpet sounded. And now we're waiting for the seventh trumpet to be sound. But John reflects somewhere else for a moment here in uh, Revelation chapter 10. So let's look here. Verse 1 through 4. I, still, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven, th- when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. Okay, let's look first of all the angel, the description of the angel. The angel is described in dramatic fashion. So, you know, here's the thing. We've seen other angels described here. We've seen, you know, you know, here we're seeing this angel is described in, man, he's obviously some sort of fantastic figure. And here's, here's what we see about him. He is clothed in a cloud. This is what John is witnessing. I don't understand how he's clothed in a cloud, but he's clothed in a cloud and wears a rainbow as a hat. Again, he's just, you have to understand, he's only writing down what he visually sees. Trying to understand that uh, is, uh, is beyond our comprehension, which, which makes a good point. Can I stop for a moment? Have you noticed that a lot of the prophecy gurus spend a lot of time trying to figure out what the minutiae details are of other things, like, you know, what does this on the beast mean and all of that. Have you noticed that kind of thing before? I have never read anyone try to figure out what the cloud is or the rainbow on his head. What does that tell you? You have to be so careful about who you read because they only focus on what they want to focus on. Because the fact of the matter is that there are things in this book that we do not understand. All I want you to understand is, is John sees a huge angel and he's wearing a cloud and he's got a rainbow for a hat. Now, that's, that's pretty, wow, okay? Let's go on now. Here's what he says. His face shines like the sun and he has feet of fire. His face shines like the sun, and he has feet of fire. Now look at how big he is, because if you look at the passage, look at verses 1 to 4, he has one foot on what? On the seas, and another foot on what? The land. Now we're not talking about somebody who's 
just standing on the seashore with one foot in the ocean and one foot on the beach, okay? The picture is that this is a huge angel. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You say, well, we've never... This just seems so unreal, George. I mean, yes, in the natural mind, it's unreal, but we're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about the spiritual. All right? Now, he has something in his hand. It's a scroll. Verse 2, John sees that he has a little scroll in his hand. Now, some of you will say, well, my version of the Bible, for instance, if you're using the New King James, it says a little book. Let me explain to you. Uh, back in that culture, they did not have books like this that are bound with pages. To them, a book was a papyrus or a sheepskin scroll that was rolled up. Do you understand what I'm saying? That was the book. It was, or if, how many of you have seen the Torah that the that the Jews have when they bring it out? It's like it's rolled out, and they roll it to different places. That's a book, okay? So he has a little scroll in his hand. Now, verse two: the angel stands upon the earth, signifying that. The message is for all. The angel stands upon the earth, signifying that the message is for all. Now notice the cry of the angel. He shouted like the roar of a lion. How many of you like the nature shows on Discovery Channel or Animal Planet or whatever? How many of you remember watching a show on the lions, and they'll always say this. They'll say that the lion's roar is the loudest sound in what? On the plains. You know what I'm saying? On the Serengeti. It's a loud sound when a lion lets loose. Okay? So this guy, when he, when he shouts... They're describing how loud he shouts like a what? Lion. I don't want you to picture him doing that kind of thing. It's just what I want you to see is they want you to understand is that when he shouts, he is so loud, it's like the what? The roar of a lion. Now, this scene is certainly one to inspire awe. You can't help but, excuse me, if you were John and you were taken from the Isle of Patmos in a vision, if you were taken in the Spirit to, to see all of this, and you look, and there is this huge angel. He's wearing a cloud. He's got a rainbow on his head. He's holding this little scroll. He's got one foot in the ocean and one foot on the land, and he's this big, huge angel. And then when he yells, it's like a roaring lion. Wouldn't you sit there and say, wow. Wow. Or either that, you'd be scared, wouldn't you? Let me, let me stop for a moment. I've got I to make this point. You know, we live in an interesting age. You know, spiritism is making its way back into our culture today. Understand what spiritism is? Spiritism is a focus on, 
uh, the supernatural, but the Spiritism is focused on non-biblical supernatural. And one of the things that's making a comeback in the church is a focus on angels. How many people know people who are into angels? they got angels everywhere. Uh, first of all, can I explain to you that a lot of the stuff that they're into isn't found in the Bible. Isn't found in the Bible. It's found in books or fairy tales, but isn't found in the Bible. It's found in imagination, but it isn't found in the Bible. The, the other thing is, the reality is, is when you read the Bible, every time a human being comes in contact with an angel, that he knows an angel in all of his glory, here's what happens. They fall down on their face like they're going to die. They're scared to death. Like, for instance, remember when the angel appeared to Mary? What is the first thing he said to her? Fear not, or peace to you. Why is he telling her not to be afraid? Fear not. What does that mean in everyday Kerwinsville talking? Don't be afraid. Because if you look at an angel, first of all, they're mightier, they're, they're, they're more brilliant. I mean, you see them, it's going to inspire awe in you, and it's also going to inspire what in you? Fear. So when you look, we always have to have a biblical perspective. Do you understand what I'm saying? A biblical perspective. So this scene is certainly one to inspire awe. Now, when the angel shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. When the angel shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. You're sitting there saying, okay, wow, that's got to be some kind of scene. He shouts, it's like a lion, and then seven, the voices of seven thunders. What is that, George? They speak. What is that? Here's, here's, I have to tell you, the identity of the seven thunders is not known. We don't know. We don't know what they are. And here's the other thing. We don't know what they said. Why? Here's what I want you to see. John prepares to write down what the seven thunders said. Look with me at verse 4. Look at what he says there. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. So, I mean, he's, he's been told to write down everything else, so he hears these seven thunders in heaven. And he hears them say something, their voices say something, and he's about to write down what they're saying. So he prepares to write down what they're saying. Now, here's the problem, though. He is commanded not to write down the utterances. So John very specifically is told, don't you dare write those down. Now, that, that causes a problem in our minds. Anybody have any idea what the problem is that it causes in our minds? Okay, for you it's curiosity, okay? All right? 
Anybody else? You're curious as to what it was said. All right. What's the problem here for you and I as we read this? I mean, say, I have no clue what the problem is. Be honest. Okay. All right, here's what the problem is. We have a problem in that we don't like to think that there are things that we don't know about what's coming. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even when we look at the book of Revelation, we take comfort in the book of Revelation really kind of giving us a picture of what is to come, and so we feel at ease that, okay, we have the hope, we know what's going to come, there we go. The problem is, this passage very clearly tells us that there are things that John is told not to write down for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are things that he sees and he hears, specifically in this instance, that he hears that he has been told not to write down. You're not, he's not to tell us what's being said. So what does that tell us? Here's what I want you to see. The revelation is the prophecy that you and I need to know for what's going to happen. But it's not a complete knowledge of what's going to happen. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? I mean, so that you don't misunderstand me and say, Oh no, he's... He's taken away from the Word of God. No, 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 no. Hold on. Here, let me give you this analogy. Has God revealed all that there is to know about Him to us? Does that make Him any less God? No. He hasn't revealed everything there is to know about Him. The reality is it's not any less the Word of God if He only gives us a partial picture of what's to come. If there are some things that He has decided on His own to keep to Himself, He's God. He can do that. You guys know what I'm talking about. You load the kids up, say we're heading to Dubois, we're going to do a little bit of shopping. You know, you don't tell them everything you're going to do. You don't tell them that we maybe we'll stop by the meadows for an ice cream, or we'll stop by Hoss's for a, a dinner or something. You're, you're keeping that to yourself, right? I mean, does that mean when you told them we're going to Dubois to go shopping that you lied to them? No, no, you just you, you understand what I'm saying. It's your prerogative as the one who's in charge to what? Reveal what you're going to do. See, this is what I want you to understand. God, in his prerogative, does not reveal everything to us. This is why I want you to understand. Why is it so important that we know the book of Revelation? So that we know understand what's coming. We have an idea. But don't get so caught up in it. Because I've met people who get... All they think and eat and drink and sleep about is what? The book of Revelation and what's going to happen. They get so... I mean, there's guys on TV. They've been on there for years. And every week they're talking about... They're bringing up some new photograph or they're bringing up some new thing that was discovered and they try to put it all together to show you how what prophecy and what's going to happen. The reality is prophecy is partial. It's a partial view of what's going to happen. And we need to keep that in perspective. Now, here you say, is this the only time that's happened? No. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12... Verses 1 through 6, you hear the Apostle Paul 
talking about another man, he's talking about himself, who was taken to the third heaven, who was taken to heaven, and he saw things which Paul writes, which were not lawful for him to utter. So there's the Apostle Paul, who also was taken in the Spirit and saw things in heaven that he was not allowed to what? Share with others. Do you see what I'm saying? So, he is commanded to write down, now, you say, now, okay, you said, now, this is a problem. Why is that a problem for us? Because we like to know. You know what I mean? We like to know. Yes, G. Yeah, if we knew everything, where would our faith be? That's that's true. Okay. Yeah, that, that's possible. Okay. What were you going to say, Marilyn? Yeah, that's true, too. Did you hear what Marilyn said? If we knew everything, we probably couldn't take it. Let's just stop for a moment. Some people can't take what's being revealed in the book right now. Like, aren't you glad God doesn't tell you what's coming ahead for you? You know, we usually when we say, I'd like to know what's going to happen, we want to know the wonderful things that are going to happen. But, you know, that problem that you happened last week, you're glad it happened when it did. You're glad you didn't know about it. Because here's what happens. We try to change things, but these things you can't change. All right? Let's go on now. He's commanded not to write down the utterances. Now, look at verses 5 through 7. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished that he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey to your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my stomach. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Okay, let's look here. First of all, the angel swears by heaven. The mighty angel solemnly swears by God that there will be no more delay. He solemnly swears that there's not going to be any delay in what's going to happen now. He then announces the intent of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet indicates the accomplishment of of the mystery of God. The mystery of God had previously had been previously announced to God's prophets. 
So the mystery of God had been previously announced to God's prophets. You say, what does that mean? Well, this refers to the fulfillment of many passages which refer to what? The second coming. That's the mystery. Do you understand from the very beginning, all the way in the beginning of Genesis, when you think about when God spoke to the serpent and to Adam, and he said, you will crush his head, meaning Adam will crush the serpent's head, and he will bruise your heel. All of those prophecies point to, now, of course, that happened on the cross, but ultimately that will happen when Satan is sent to where? To the lake of fire. All of those prophecies from the very beginning have always pointed to the Messiah coming in all of his glory and power. Now, you say, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, think about it for a moment. When Jesus came to Palestine, they had a hard time with him being the Messiah. They had a hard time with his message that the Messiah must first, what? Suffer. Because in their mind, the Messiah was supposed to what? Conquer. The Messiah was supposed to establish the kingdom forever for Israel. So these are the prophecies that they understood. And here's what he's saying. The angel is saying, it's no longer to be delayed. The seventh trumpet is going to finally fulfill the mystery of God. The greatest mystery of all in the Bible is what? The coming of Christ, folks. Isn't it still a mystery to us today? I mean, think about it. That's why we have guys who write books on prophecy, because they're trying to figure out what? When Jesus is coming back, because that's a mystery. And let me just stop for a moment. It isn't May 11th. Can I remind you that the guy who wrote that track once predicted 1994? Boy, 1994? 2010? 16 years? Been wrong before. Do you think you'll be wrong again? Yep. Don't go on vacation on that day, okay? Go to work. All right? Here's what I want you to see. It's a mystery, and the fulfillment of it is going to take place. Now, the interesting thing is, he's told to eat the scroll. Now, that's interesting. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 there. First of all, John is commanded to take the scroll from the mighty angel. He's commanded to take the scroll from the mighty angel. So we see in verse 9 then that John asks the mighty angel for the scroll. I, I can't even picture this scene. I mean, this huge angel's got this little teeny scroll, and John's saying, Hey, can I have that scroll? Can you see that big hand reaching it down to him? I can't even fathom that. But here's what the angel does, and if I was John, I would do it. The angel tells John to what? To eat the scroll. John eats the scroll, which is sweet to the taste, but what? Bitter to the stomach. Folks, that's the description of the Word of God. Do you realize that the Word of God is both sweet and bitter? Do you realize that? Here, in fact, let me just say this to you. I tell people all the time, our task is simply to share the gospel. Who is it that saves? Jesus. 
And when you share the gospel, can I be honest with you, you give words of life or death. Let me just say that again. You give words of life or death. They're either sweetness or bitterness for people. They're sweetness if they accept Jesus. But if they deny your your testimony, if they deny, they don't want to listen to what, it's bitterness because they have no excuse later on. Do you understand? Our task is to share. Their rejection, they'll pay the price for later. So they're words of death. Do you understand? They're words of life to some, but they're words of death to others. And that's from the scripture. So, John eats this scroll, which is sweet to the taste, but bitter to the stomach. And then in verse 11, John is told what to do. John is told to proclaim the contents to everyone. So he's told to tell everyone what was on that scroll. Okay, so next week we will get into chapter 11 and we will look at the two witnesses and the seventh trumpet. So let's have a word of prayer.